But look at, look at what Daniel said was going to happen. And we're going to examine this. Daniel said in the 6th century B.C. that at a future time, this thing was going to take place. Now, I'm not going to get into this abomination that causes desolation, uh, but in the context of where Daniel is, is talking, he's talking about one of the most described people in the Bible. He is called by more than 20 different terms. And he, we know him as the Antichrist. And on Sunday morning, Lord willing, the first seal that we're getting to in Revelation 6 is going to introduce him. And he is going to be the one that brings humanity what we've always looked for. He's going to bring world peace. Did you know there's going to be world peace? There's going to be an absence of war on this planet. And there's going to be a man, a politician, a man who can talk like nobody's talked before since Christ. And he's going to get everybody behind him. And that's the first seal. We're going to come to that. But in the midst of what he does, he is going to set up an abomination that causes desolation in the holy place. So what that means is that Jesus told his disciples that Daniel was right when Daniel said that at the end of the world, there was going to be a temple in Jerusalem that the Jews worship. That's what the holy place is. And that there was going to be an idol put into that place. So you know what that means? It means there has to be a nation Israel. That means that God's going to have to preserve the Jewish people for 2,600 years from 600 B.C. to we're now 2,613 years later. And they're going to have to continuously exist and not get exterminated. But they're going to have to be identifiably back in Jerusalem. And that happened in the last half of the last century. And so we're, we're starting to chart. We are alive in what the Old Testament calls the, the last or final generation. It's very interesting uh, that, that we are seeing a time in history that is uh, astounding. Okay. Daniel 9 is the most amazing prophetic chapter of all. And the reason I say that is, real quickly before we go, Daniel 9 is a prayer. Daniel is studying the Bible and he is praying through the scripture, praying for his people, praying. And all of a sudden his prayer is interrupted by Gabriel. And Gabriel's important. Gabriel's the one that announces that Jesus is coming. And Gabriel's the one that, that is, is there and, and speaking um, into the, the events for the children of Israel. But Gabriel visits and gives to Daniel, in Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, a very interesting prophecy. And we just have enough time to read it. So turn to Daniel 9. I want to show you something. You've never seen it before. This is the most amazing prophecy in the Bible. Basically has four parts. Uh, you know, if you like uh, three-point sermons with a poem, this is almost that good. It talks about the scope of God's plan for history in verse 24. Then it talks about a period of time called 69 weeks. Then it says there's this period where, it, like the clock, you know, is off. Uh, the game, you know, when they're running around and measuring and everything, the clock's not running. There's an interval period. And then there's a final segment of time. And this 70th week is where we get the seven 
year tribulation from. So let, let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, in your Bibles, verse 24, 70 weeks. Now, it, it doesn't really say weeks. It's actually a, an interesting term that in English would be the word heptads. It's like the word dozens. What does dozens mean? It means groups of what? Twelves, yeah. Heptads means groups of sevens. So this a heptatic structure is revolving around the number seven. So it says 70 heptads are determined upon thy people. So what we're seeing is the scope of history, God says, is all God has has designed all history is, is surrounding the people he chose way back, 21 centuries before Christ. In Ab oh, he chose them eternity past, but, but he revealed it to us in Abraham's time. The Jews, the descendants of Judah, uh, the Yehudim, the Jews. So Daniel's people are the Jews, and God determines 70 heptads. What is seven times seven? Seven times seven is 49. So seven times 70 would be 490. So God says, I have planned 490 years for the Jewish people. And not just for the Jewish people. Remember the UN wanted to give them Rhodesia or something, you know, some land out in Africa? Doesn't work. God says, I have put my plan for those Jewish people and it's totally bound up with the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And then he says, and, and this is a study in itself, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Wow, what on earth is that? There's only one thing. There's only one thing that finished transgressions, made an end of sin, reconciled iniquities, and brought in everlasting righteousness, and that's the cross of Christ. And so something in this 490 years involves Christ dying on the cross, and this 490 years also seals up the vision and prophecy and anoints the most holy place. So something big is happening. So that's what verse 24 is about the scope. Part two, remember there are four parts, is the 69 weeks. Now look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So uh, Artaxerxes tells them that they can go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So from that command unto Messiah the King. Now if you read the Gospels, you see that Palm Sunday, as we call it, Jesus comes in and, and they're saying, Hosanna, save us, and you're the king. And, and, and they say, tell the people to stop saying that. They told Jesus. Jesus said, if they didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. Because it was a very important day to God. It was the day that Jesus Christ offered himself to the Jewish people as their king. And they rejected him as their king. And so he died as the savior of the world. But what's interesting is seven heptads and three score is 60 and two. So we have, we have seven plus 60 plus two. So we have 69 heptads, hep, groups of seven, which equals 483 years. 
So something is going to happen in that time period. Basically, what he's saying is the 69 weeks go from when the commandment came from the secular king that they could restore Jerusalem until Jesus offered himself, you know, Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king comes, meek and lowly, sitting on the colt of a donkey. And, and when Jesus came riding into town on the donkey and they threw their clothes down, their cloaks, and put the palm branches it was 483 years. Now, if you look on the calendar, actually it's, it's 445 B.C. to 30 A.D., and that's 475 years, but they have not always calculated years as 360 days. We have a Gregorian calendar. We also have the Julian calendar. There have been so many corrections, but if you look at Jewish years, which are 360-day years, not 364 and a half or five and a quarter years. Uh, it's wonderful mathematics. The Royal Astronomy uh, Astronomical Society of Britain worked it out. But look what Jesus said when he came for Palm Sunday. When he was come near in Luke 19, beheld the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, at least in this thy day. Jesus said when he rode into town, it was their day. And it was what was promised would happen that Messiah would offer himself as king. And then Jesus said, because you didn't know your day, the day will come upon thee and the enemy shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round, keep thee on every side, and mow you down. Basically, after the three score and two weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. That's the substitutionary atonement that Daniel 9, 26. This is the heart of the gospel. That the, the promised Savior would be cut off, not for himself. And look at this. And this is where we'll have to pick up next time. This is fascinating. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Now, we know when that happened. After, notice it says, after this Jesus announcing himself as Messiah, that the people of the prince that shall come, the Romans, are going to come and destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And the end, therefore, shall be with a flood, and unto the end wars and desolations are determined. Then, if you want to see a chart of it, verse 25 says there's going to be this 69-week period that ends at what we call Palm Sunday, or Christ riding into town, offering himself as the Messiah. Then after that 69 weeks ends, after it, Messiah would be cut off, that's the cross, and the city of Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. And it just goes, mm. you know, it's kind of like TVs used to go, when the programming ended, it just hummed. That's the interval. But verse 27 down here is what is the most remarkable thing. I stopped with you on verse 26. What does verse 27 say? If you look down at your Bible, it says... Look at these words. And he, the prince, shall enforce covenant with the many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause. You see, if you counted and did the math, there's one week left out. God has accounted for his time clock stopped after 69 weeks. And that stopping, after the clock stopped, Christ was crucified, Jerusalem was destroyed, and it's going to hum for a while. But 
the prince that shall come, wait a minute, what prince is that? The people of the prince shall come and destroy the city. Who destroyed Jerusalem? The Romans. What empire destroyed Jerusalem and the temple? The Romans. The people of the prince that shall come. So what it's saying is, that's where we get the revived Roman Empire. Uh, in the midst of the week, this prince that shall come, this, this antichrist that is somehow involved with this revived Roman Empire is going to enforce the covenant for one week. That's seven years. There's where we get the tribulation from, right there. And in the midst of the week, now you've heard of mid-trib, that's where the middle is. The midst of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And that's where we're going to... Let's begin this evening uh, looking at the question that I was just finishing up last week. What is Daniel 9 talking about? And it's talking about the most amazing prophetic chapter in the whole Bible. And, and the only thing I want to remind you of before we dig into Ezekiel is this, that God wants us to know about the future. Think about it, that it, it's not Hal Lindsey that thought all this up. It, it's not John Walvert of Dallas Seminary that thought all this up. It's not even J.N. Darby of the Plymouth Brethren that thought all this up. God is the one who in the book of Isaiah said, test me to know that I am the Lord. Do you know the things that are going to happen in the future? Because only I do, saith the Lord. And so what, what we see is prophecy was built by God for the purpose of helping us know the future. And so it, it's not like it's the fringe of Christendom that's into this. God is into it. And he's devoted, as we saw last week, a fourth of his book into uh, things to come. And so real quickly, what we saw in, in Daniel 9, the most amazing prophetic chapter in the Bible is this. There's so many pieces. Um, those four verses, 24, 25, and 26, and 27, basically tell us the scope of history, then specifically the 483 years, the church age, we would call it, it's just a, an interval, and then the last seven years. Uh, the scope is, God says he's determined that there are 490 years of history that revolve around the Jewish people. Remember, in God's map, Jerusalem's in the center, his people, his chosen people of promise. Uh, and it surrounds the Jews in Jerusalem. It lasts 483 years. You say, how do you get 483 years? Well, it says uh, there shall be uh, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Um, seven plus 62 makes 69 weeks. And if you look, uh, 69 times seven uh, weeks of years. And by the way, if you want to track this down, you'll find that this word that's used here is used in other parts of the Old Testament for kind of like we would use dozens, and it uses sevens. But that's where we come with the 483 years. And uh, the third part is, notice the wording, after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. So we know that's the crucifixion. Um, the crucifixion takes place after this time period. But this time period, if you, if you look here, there are 69 weeks that are talked about that are from the, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until actually God's counter ended on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a bigger deal. It, you know, I mean, it's the... the triumphal entry of Christ. You know, some people wonder if it's really on Sunday, but it doesn't 
matter, what we call Palm Sunday is very big in God's calendar. It's the end of this period of his plans for Israel. And it ended when they, as it were, rejected Jesus as their king. They, they rejected him. And so following that, the time clock stopped, but Christ was crucified and Jerusalem was destroyed. And there's an indeterminate amount of time. It's, it's called an interval. It's just, God says, 69 weeks, one week. And that's what makes 70. But between the end of the 69th right here and the beginning of the final one, the 70th, is an indeterminate amount of time. And you say, well, what's it for? It's what the Bible calls till the fullness of the Gentiles shall come in. And I love it that some Bible teachers say that, that God has this, this clock, uh, this counting clock, and it's counting up time and people that are coming and when the last one that he desires to enter into the church of christ enters boom i mean you're going to be out in fact uh, if you want to it says hasten the day of the lord you want to hasten the day of the lord lead people to the lord because you hasten when the last one that he has chosen for this time period to be saved to save boom then he takes his church out and it starts that 70th week so we already covered this last week the last seven years uh is, is in Daniel 9.27, and he, that's the prince that shall come, shall enforce the covenant with the many for one week. And see, this, this whole uh, Daniel 9 thing is built around these heptads, these weeks of years, seven years. And so he's going to enforce a covenant for seven years, and in the middle of the seven years, the middle of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and determination will be poured out in the desolate. I mean, all that is saying is everything that it chronicles, when you look at Revelation 13, and you, you see this Antichrist coming, and this image he sets up of himself, and the, the uh, breaking of the covenant, and, and tricking the Jewish people who were trusting in the false Messiah. And I'm looking forward in a, in a couple of weeks when we get on Sunday morning to the first seal of Revelation 6. The first seal is a white horse. The first event that the Lord unfolds for us is the rise of this man that is the ultimate superman in every way. Super intellect, super communicator, super... Uh, you know, mesmerizer of audiences. I mean, Hitler could keep the Munich Stadium absolutely mesmerized with his orations and his everything he did. This fellow will be able to mesmerize not just, you know, Munich or, or uh, Germany. He will mesmerize the world and, and will give everybody what they always wanted uh, for a while. Uh, so that led us to the second question, where does this term seven-year tribulation come from? It's right there. It's this idea that, that God had 483 years, whoop, 483 years, or uh, 69 heptads that ended, and there's this interval, but the last section, the last week, the 70th week, is seven years long. And this, this 70th week period is called uh, the, the tribulation or the, as it says in chapter 6 on, uh, at the end of 6, the great tribulation. 
Uh, now, this is something that we're going to cover tonight. There is a prophesied two-chapter event in Ezekiel that, that describes the Magog invasion of Israel. The, you notice this and this and this? It's not clear in the Bible when it takes place. And so what we're going to do tonight is just, you know, it, it's understand what's going to happen, understand the, the participants, but we don't know if it, if it falls right here before the tribulation. It could actually happen. It, it isn't clear whether it happens, uh, you know, sometime in, in you know, like, like near the time of Armageddon, any time during the week, before the week, uh, it's just not clear, and I'll show you why. But what we do know is that there's a rebuilt temple in this time period because in the center at the three-and-a-half-year mark, right here, right in the center of the tribulation, the Antichrist uh, defiles, sets up the image of himself, and, and uh, breaks the covenant and all the things we read about in Revelation. So this is where the seven-year tribulation comes from. It's that 70th week. That is, that is culminated by the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. And that launches into the personal direct rule of Christ called the millennium. Okay, now what's interesting, go to Daniel 10. I want to show you something because uh, I wanted to throw this in because someone mentioned it. it probably uh, they were reading Peretti books or something, you know, I don't know. But look in Daniel 10 because... Where did this idea of spiritual warfare on a global scale come from? And, and sometimes we, we uh, in our reading this, we don't really notice some of the things that, that it's talking about. Uh, first of all, in Daniel 10, if you read the whole chapter, you see that, that Daniel is fasting for three weeks. Now that immediately, um, when Jesus' disciples confronted a very powerful demon situation, Jesus said to them, this kind cometh not, but by what? Yeah. This kind cometh not, but by, remember, God always puts this word first, and fasting. Uh, prayer in God's book is always first. But we will give ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. This kind cometh not but by prayer and by fasting. And so prayer is, is a reference to our seeking God. Fasting is us denying ourself, our flesh. Uh, you know, the, the idea of um, that, that I am so weak, I need to seek God's strength. And I am, my flesh is so strong, I need to deny it. So first I start seeking the Lord, and then I start, you know, denying uh, the, the, the enemy within, the traitor, my flesh. So Daniel is, is already seeking the Lord, and he goes into this three-week fast, and the Lord dispatches a messenger to him, but for the whole fasting period the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, you know what's so interesting? Movie makers read the Bible. I mean, that was a movie a while back, The Prince of Persia. And I thought, do they know what they're talking about? Because there is a demon that is, that is behind this moment. What, 
the Persians are doing in their hatred of Israel. And it is so interesting to think about the dark side, what we, you know, we don't even realize so much of, of, of it's not just uh, nation states buying, uh, you know, hypersonic missiles and, and Israel intercepting them and blowing them up last week. There's so much more going on on the spiritual realm that God, interestingly enough, in this chapter is one of the only places in the Bible, I mean, other than Job 1 and 2 that we've already looked at, pulls back for a moment the curtain because he wants us to know that there is so much going on that this is why the Bible says God is watching over his word to perform it because Satan doesn't understand the Bible and doesn't know what God is doing, but he's going to try and stop it at every hand. And so there is this this higher level of warfare. And so this prince of the kingdom of Persia, this, this order of demon creatures, remember Paul describes seven orders of demons, principalities and powers, and you know, he goes through all these you know, spiritual weakness in high places when he's talking about it. And if you add them up with the ones that are in the Old Testament, it appears that there are seven orders of demons that reflect the seven orders, you know, cherubim and seraphim and the archangel, Lucifer that was the anointed cherub. I mean, you know four right off, top, plus normal angels. So, um, but, but uh, until Michael, and Michael is the one that seems to always be the defender of God's chosen people who promised the Jews. So Michael comes in and, and uh, this messenger going to that's on his way to Daniel, is hindered by this, this being. So Michael uh, comes and assists this angel to get to Daniel. And after giving Daniel, after that messenger gets to Daniel, this angel, and gives him chapter 11 and 12, he will have to deal with, and here's another one, appears to be one of these hierarchy of demons that is, that is influencing the nation of Greece. So all, all that to say, in a little while when we're looking at the maps, uh, we think of armies and soldiers and political leaders, and God sees overlaid over all that. Satan is just like in Job. Satan incited the Sabaeans to go and attack Job's flocks. Satan incited, and, and if you read, Satan can actually incite people groups to, to terrorize and kill and fight and war. He can drive them, just like the demon of Gadara, the de demonized man. So this is very interesting, but I, I just wanted you to see where that comes from. What are your thoughts on the probable timing of Ezekiel's Russian invasion where God shows himself supernaturally protecting his people? Well, immediately, see, this is what the discipline of truth is. Where in the world would it say anything about that? See, that's what we're supposed to know. Not the professionals. We're supposed to know that. That's what the discipline of truth is. When you hear of something, it should draw your mind to some portion of the Bible because you've read the Bible enough. You know it better than your sports statistics, more than you know, you know the, the latest goings-on of... Uh, uh, Bonnie and I were trapped in traffic going between two points in Los Angeles, and finally we found out what it was. It was one of these... And we were actually cutting between two places and ended up 
on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was a premiere, and all these black limousines, and people were getting out in their little gowns, you know, and police were everywhere. And I said, wonder what that is, you know? We're so out of touch, and it was some premiere of some movie. But, boy, if you talk about this, I know where it is. See, where is your treasure? Is it in heaven? Then you know the Word of God. Is it on earth? You, you know what premiere it was in Hollywood last week. Um, the two places you look are Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Daniel 9. So quick, open your Bibles, and we have exactly eight minutes, and I'll try and answer this uh, fast. When I was little, they used to have uh, 16 and a half, 33, 45, and 78, I think, were the speeds of the record player, which was a flat pancake thing that spun with a needle. And so we will go from, I've been going at 16 and 33, we'll go 45 and 78 soon. So the question is, do Russia, the Arab Muslims, and the current events fit anywhere in Daniel 9? First of all, what is Daniel 9? Here's Daniel 9. I printed it out for you. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks, and I would add that the Bible shows us that actually is not 77-day weeks, but it's 70 heptads of 490 years. And I'll show you why. Upon thy people, little interpretation, that's the Jews, thy holy city, Jerusalem. So God says, basically, I have 490 years planned for the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem to do all these things. Okay, now look at the next verse. Now, therefore, understand from the going forth of the command to restore. And if you know anything about history, you know that in about 445 B.C., the Persian, Iranian, king made a decree. You can read about it in, in uh, uh, the last chapter of Ezra, and you can read about it in the first chapter of uh, or Chronicles. But this decree goes out to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem's walls and the temple. And uh, from that point, 445 B.C., and you can look that up, by the way, I checked, I always say this, and I checked this morning, went to Wikipedia, first thing, right there, in that collect all of a lot of junk. They had the right date in there, praise the Lord. On to Messiah the King. We know that's about 30 A.D. Jesus was crucified. Shall be, now look at this, set, we have to do a little math within sets and closed sets, okay? Three score is 60 and two. So 60 plus 7 plus 2. So there's something going on for 69 of these weeks. And what will happen is the streets will be built of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem, and troublesome time. How would we possibly know that Daniel is talking not about, you know, 70 weeks, which is like one year and 18 weeks, one year, four months, and two weeks, how do we know he's not talking about a year and a quarter? Well, just plug in, just do a little math. From the command to restore Jerusalem was in 445 B.C. Messiah the king was heralded on Palm Sunday in 30 A.D. And if you do a little math and, and take those years, actually that is 475 you know, years if you look at that, but if you take 360-day which is what Hebrew calendars were, a lunar calendar, uh, and, and divide that time period down today, you find it exactly is 483 years, which is just what the Lord said. The 60 plus 2 plus 7. 
right up to the time of Messiah. Now let's go back to the text, verse 26. After these three score and two, plus the seven that has already been mentioned, after these 69 weeks or 483 years, something is going to happen. After that, Messiah will be cut off. What's that? That's the crucifixion. The Messiah was crucified. And not for himself. It's a substitutionary atonement. And the people of the prince that shall come will destroy the city. Who crucified Jesus and who destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70? What, what nation of people? Romans, okay. So the Romans, see, all of this is, is uh, very historically uh, validated. The, the people that destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple were the Romans. But notice what it says. The people, the Romans, of, whoa, who's that? The prince that shall come, we know him, we meet him in Revelation 13, beast. He's the anti-Christ. He, this is where we get the concept of the revived Roman Empire. It's not how Lindsay didn't think of that. Uh, God thought of that. God said the same people that destroyed Jerusalem and the temple is going to produce a prince that shall come. And what is he going to do? And he, this is the very next verse, so the antecedent is the prince that shall come, shall enforce the covenant with the many. Oh, there's the last week. Remember, we have 69 accounted for. But in the future, there's one left, and it's right there. And, oh, in the middle of it, so if a week is seven years, in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he's going to cause, and this little line right here, Jesus, Paul, and John all believed that was true, that there was a future time that this bad guy, the Antichrist, is going to stop the sacrifice and the oblation. Is there a temple in Jerusalem today? No, there hasn't been one since A.D. 70. But Jesus, Paul, John, and Daniel, in the future, for one week, saw this temple. And he's going to make it desolate. And what, I mean, if you've read the rest of the book, in chapter 13 of Revelation, it says that he sets up an image of himself and wants to be worshipped as God, this Antichrist savior of Israel that defends them at their darkest hour comes in. So that's the backdrop for, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Okay, here's verse 25 of Daniel, 69 weeks, 7 plus 62. It ends with Christ being cut off and the desolation and there's this period that's not determined how long it is until this final section this last week that is bisected by a half. And at the halfway point, the Antichrist shows his true colors and uh, turns on Israel. 
The Bible says that there is a future Jewish temple during the tribulation in Jerusalem. So during the tribulation in Jerusalem is this temple and this temple is what prompts the, the entire unleashing of the prophecies about the end of the world. So verse one of chapter 11, I was given a read to measure. John is, is just seeing and measuring what Jesus saw. Now remember, four people see this temple. That's how we know it's gonna be there. Now you see, why, are, why am I spending so much time talking about this? Because half of all Christians do not believe that there are gonna be either one of these temples. They say this is all figurative, it's talking about the church, yet Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, flee to the mountains. So Jesus, when he's talking about the birth pangs that we saw uh, about five or six lessons ago, uh, you know, Matthew 24 and the signs of the end. When Jesus was giving that sermon, he said, as the world is ending, when you see the abomination of, that causes desolation standing in the temple, flee to the mountains. Jesus saw a tribulation temple. Paul saw the same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul said that this one who makes himself God and calls himself God is going to raise up and put an image of himself and cause false worship in a temple in Jerusalem at the end, after the rapture of the church. So Jesus saw this temple, Paul saw this temple, Daniel saw this temple in Daniel chapter nine. He said in Daniel chapter nine, and uh, verses starting in verse 24, and let me get there with you. Uh, it says this, Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people. And verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So from the rebuilding of the destroyed Solomon Temple, there is going to be 483 years. Now we know to the day that that, that is truly what happened because this was destroyed and, and then Cyrus sends them back and lets them have the... the Lumber, and you remember Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, and all that, and they start rebuilding the temple, and 483 years are clocked there. But then it says, keep going to verse 26, and after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now we've gotten to the crucifixion of Christ, right here. And Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, that's the substitutionary atonement, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. Whoa, the people of the prince that is to come. This prince, this, this person, the Antichrist has, so the Antichrist has 33 different names in the Bible. Prince to come is one of them. But look what it says in this verse, but the people of the prince who is to come, that's the tribulation antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. AD 70, who destroyed Herod's temple? The Romans. Now that's where, now, if you've ever heard of the revived Roman Empire and that the antichrist is going to be 
coming out of the revived Roman Empire, it's because Daniel 9.26 says, the people of the prince that will come are the ones who destroyed the temple in AD 70. All that is from this amazing prophecy. So again, I remind you, this whole event we're talking about, this whole temple, and everything that's going on here in chapter 11, 12, and 13, see on the map, I mean the slide in front of you, that's Daniel 9, 24 to 27. God's prophetic word in Daniel is directed at the future of Israel. See, that's where the confusion comes in. It's not the church. All of this has nothing to do with the church. The church is around the throne. This has to do with Israel. Do you see that the tribulation is for Israel? Basically, you could summarize the tribulation this way. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until the Jews are with nowhere to turn. They've all been kind of pushed back into the promised land, back into the Holy Land, back into basically Jerusalem. The Antichrist, this worst man that ever lives, is hemming them in. He's assembled the biggest army the world's ever seen, what we would call the Battle of Armageddon. They're all gathering at Armageddon. They're going to march together to annihilate the Jewish people in Jerusalem. 